Good morning. Welcome to Grace Bible Church. Glad you guys are uh, here this morning. A uh, very special morning. It's uh, our privilege this morning to hear um, a word from the Lord and uh, to hear through the avenue of not only myself, but of John Keene. Obviously, I'm not the only one on stage now. And uh, it's our privilege to, uh, to have John up here with us this morning. Uh, as you know, John's been a young man who has served in our church for quite a while and uh, in a lot of different ministry areas. Um, I think just recently, probably past year, year, year and a half, has felt a calling on his life to... Um, to serve the Lord in ministry in some way, shape, or form. And so he has uh, the gift of teaching and preaching, and so we want to give him an opportunity to do that. And so this morning, um, we are going to continue our sermon series in the book of Judges called The Downward Spiral. And so if you have your text, I'd uh, invite you to turn with me to the book of Judges, chapter 14. Kids, we do have kids' church, so see you after a while. And as uh, the kids are going out, turn with me to the book of Judges. Again, chapter 14 is where we are going to be. Last week, uh, we saw the introduction uh, to our sixth, sixth and final judge by the name of Samson. And uh, we will continue on with Samson's life in chapters 14 and 15. And so as the kids are heading out, I'd invite you again to turn in your Bibles with me to Judges chapter 14 is where we're going to be. Last week in Judges chapter 13, uh, we saw the beginning. Ooh, that's kind of loud. Uh, saw the beginning of the Samson story. Uh, and we saw that Samson was born with what I would call a spiritual silver spoon in his mouth. We see that he had every advantage um, from birth, every empowerment, every enablement to be the deliverer, uh, to be the savior, if you will, of Israel. And so this week, as we uh, cover a couple chapters, 14 and 15, we're going to see just exactly what Samson did with that spiritual silver spoon, if you will. Uh, I want to begin just with a quick uh, quick game, if you will, uh, and it requires a bit of participation, and so please be willing to uh, to play along here with me. Uh, what I'd like to do is share with you uh, the name of a company, uh, all companies I think that we'll be familiar with, and then I'd like to share with you their, their, their logo or their slogan, and I'll give you the first half of the slogan, and if you know the second half of the, of the slogan, I invite you just to, to yell it out, don't be bashful, even if you're wrong, no problem. The first one is going to be a layup, though, Nike, just... Just do it. Okay, that one's easy. Um, the Home Depot. You can do it. We can help. Excellent. You guys are very good. UPS. What can Brown do for you? You guys watch a lot of TV, don't you? <laughs> That's okay. I know these two. Uh, Wendy's. Do what? Oh, close. Do what? Tastes right. <sighs> Nick, I don't know what to think that you know that. <laughs> You're a Wendy's kind of guy? Apparently so. Fast food, baby. Wendy's. Do what tastes right. And then my personal favorite, Burger King. Have it your way. Okay, we all know that one. Burger King. Have it your way. Um, I think the common thread of all of these companies, of all of these slogos, is what I wouldn't call slogos. I made that word up. Apparently John's not the only one nervous this morning. Slogans. I think the common thread of these slogans is what I would call the unbridled pursuit of satisfying our wants and needs. The unbridled, the encouragement for us to have an unbridled pursuit to satisfy our wants and our desires. Uh, it's really summed up in Burger King's Have It Your Way. This morning, I think we're going to hear the story of a man uh, by the name of Samson, who I would call uh, 
a guy who has it his way. He lives that kind of life. He lives a have-it-my-way kind of a life. And what we're going to see is following his silver spoon that he was born with in the spiritual sense, he is going to squander that. He is going to waste it, living a have-it-my-way kind of a lifestyle. And the ironic thing about this is what we're going to see in chapters 14 and 15 is that Samson is going to do what feels right. He's going to have it his way. He's going to just do it. And the result of that is not going to be what he wants. He thinks he's going to be satisfied. He thinks it's going to to lead to a life of satisfaction and joy. But what it is going to lead to is disaster and dissatisfaction. And I think what we see is in our life as well, when we live a habit your way kind of a lifestyle, it will also lead to disaster and a dissatisfied life. So let's go ahead and jump into the text here. Uh, Samson chapter 14. I think chapter 14 has essentially three sections. Uh, you can follow it along on the screen if you will, or in your Bibles there in your seat. Uh, chapter uh, 14 verses 1 through 4 is kind of the first section. And I called it Samson's request. And so the story of Samson continues in verses 1 through 4. So let's, let's go ahead and read it together. Verse 1 of chapter 14. Samson went, went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all of our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson, Samson said to his father, get her for me, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Verse four, his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. And so what I hope we can see in this first chapter, chapter 14, is four areas, if you will, of Samson having it his way. Four areas to where Samson pursues just doing what feels right. And we see two in this first section. The first section, uh, the first way that Samson, I think, has it his way is in the area of sexuality. And notice what happens in verses 1 and 2. Samson goes down to a Philistine town, and apparently he's just kind of checking out the babes, and lo and behold, he sees one. There's an emphasis in verses 1 and 2 on the eyes, on the appeal of the eyes, on the lust of what Samson saw. Two times the text says that Samson saw. Samson saw this woman, and apparently she was attractive, and so on the basis of pure looks alone, he goes home and says... She's the one that I want. Mom and dad, go get her for me. And notice the attitude that we that that Samson has. Not only does he want uh, to get this wife, who is apparently a looker, good enough for him to marry. Mom and dad, I've seen her. I've seen her. She looks good. Go get her. But he wants it now. He wants it immediately. There's no such thing as delayed gratification for Samson. He wants it. He sees it. Go and get it for me. And, uh, you know, no offense to my son, but as you guys know who have, who have had kids and I'm learning as a new parent that I think kids, at least my kid, I don't know about yours, can be very much this way. Uh, make me feel better. Are, you, are your kids this way? They want what they want when they want it? No? no? <laughs> we'll talk afterwards. You can give me some tips. <laughs> Even my, my son, and I love him to death, but I tell you what, he is very much like this. Um, Samson... Samson never grew up because when my son wants something to eat, 
He wants it immediately. And when he wants to watch something on TV, he wants it immediately. And when he wants to listen to music, he wants it immediately. And when he wants to go outside, he wants it immediately. And we know because he goes, uh, 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 and we know that he wants it. And he has no patience whatsoever. Samson very much is like this in the realm of sexuality. He sees her. She looks good. I want her now. So we see the first area that I uh, would say Samson is having it his way. He's following his desires in the realm of sexuality. But not only that, we see that his desire to, to have it his way leads him to rebel against authority. And that's the second area that Samson is living for himself, pursuing his desires, because he says, I want her now. And what do, what is, what do his parents say? They say, well... Can't you, can't you make a better choice? You know, can't you choose from among our relatives? And so he goes against both his parents' suggestion and God's command to not marry outside the family of faith. He doesn't care. Notice there's a phrase. There's a phrase, and I, be, I believe it's a, at the end of verse 3. Samson says, get her for me. Why? For she is right in my eyes. And so he rebels against his parents' authority. He rebels against God's authority in his life. And that's what we do when we live for ourselves. That's what we do when we live a life having it our way. If the authorities in our life say, no, that's not good for you, we rebel. And it says, she is right in my own eyes. That, as we continue on in the book of Judges, this phrase is going to come up again and, and again towards the end of the book of Judges. In fact, the, the book of Judges ends this way. I'll quote the very last verse of the book of Judges. It says this. In those days, that is the time period of the Judges, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Does that not sound like our culture Today, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And the interesting thing here, and John's going to pick up on this a little bit later. The interesting thing is, is that that's correlated with not having a righteous king in the land. Some of the judges were very good. Some of the judges, like Samson, were very bad. But none of them, none of them were the righteous king that Israel needed to rule and to give them grace and mercy and love and good standards. And so when there is no righteous king, the people do what is right in their own eyes. Moving on, in verses 5 through 9, we've seen Samson's requests, go get her for me, the area of sexuality and authority. In verses 5 through 9, we see Samson's, I call it courtship. It's not exactly that, but that's what I would call it, Samson's courtship. Essentially, we see the story progress, and Samson uh, essentially says, uh, let's go down to Timnah, and his parents go along. And so he's going down to Timnah, this Philistine city, to kind of prearrange marriage, to make marriage preparations, if you will. So let's go ahead and read that together in verses 5 through 9. Verse 5. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came towards him, roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But... He did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in his and Samson's eyes. After some days, he returned to take her. So he's going to get his bride, going to have his wedding. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out into his mouth and went on eating as he went. And he went and he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate. 
But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. And so the story continues, and we have a couple what I would call kind of really odd instances. He's going down to, uh, to get his bride. He's going down to his wedding, essentially, kind of make arrangements. And we have these two instances, one where a lion jumps out and he's like, boom, you know, he just tears it apart. And I'm sure he did the high part, too. Part ninja. Um, I'm sure he did that. I mean, it's just an amazing thing. This young lion leaps out. The spirit says, I'll protect you. And he just rips this lion apart. But in the process... In the process, there's a problem because what we see is that Samson will continue to have have it his way. He will continue to rebel against the authority of God in his life because what happens is the lion comes, he rips it apart, and almost haphazardly, he comes into contact with a dead body, with a dead animal carcass. And if you remember back from last week, there are three things that a, um, that this uh, a Nazarite, which Samson was from birth, couldn't do. Couldn't drink wine, couldn't touch dead animals or people, and he couldn't cut his hair. And so here we have this incident where he touches a dead animal. So the question is, what is he going to do? The authority in his life, God's word, says... What you need to do is you need to go down to the temple, you have desecrated yourself, and you need to undergo an eight-day purification ritual, if you will. I won't go into it, but that's what he should have done. At that point, he, his vow was nullified, and to restart it, he should go down to the temple and go through this ritual. And so, in perspective, where is Samson going? He's going to his wedding. He's going to find this wife that he sees to be pretty, to be right in his own eyes. Do you think that Samson is going to be inclined to choose God's way or his way, especially when it comes to sexuality? Uh, No, he disregards that. And verse 7, it says again, pointing out that Samson is doing what he thinks is right as opposed to what God thinks is right. Verse 7, it says that she was right in Samson's eyes. So Samson doesn't care what is right in God's eyes. All that he cares about is what is right in his eyes. So we see this first incident, but then we see another incident, and it's even odder. He um, apparently returned home, and then he's going back again to Timno, and he sees that same lion that he just ripped up like a ninja would, and lo and behold, there's bees inside this carcass, which, that's kind of odd. And not only is there bees, but there's honey. And the honey looks good. Apparently, Samson had a sweet tooth because what we see happening is the same thing. He disregards God's authority in his life. Um, Eating some of the honey out of the carcass of this beast surely would have uh, allowed him to come into contact with it, thus breaking his vow. And so once again, we see him following his appetites, but this time, not in the area of sexuality. Yes, in the area of God's authority, but particularly in the area of his appetite. He is walking along. It it looks good. Honey is sure sweet. I think all of us, most of us like honey. And he chooses to break his vow again instead of doing that which is right. His sweet tooth won him over. And so what we've seen so far is Samson's request. We see this kind of odd incident. He's breaking God's authority. He's following his his own desires. His own stomach is leading him at at this point. And in verses 10 through 20, we see kind of the culmination of it. Finally, we get to what I would call the wedding day, although then it was like a seven-day seven day party, if you will. It's not like one night. It's like seven days worth of party, and then the wedding would be at the very end. And so in chapter 10 through 12, essentially what we see is that Samson is going down. It's wedding time, if you will, and uh, what we're going to see is that it's going to be a disaster. He has pursued his own lusts, his own desires, living how he wants to live. He's now going up for his wedding. 
And if you think in the back of your mind that your wedding maybe didn't go perfect, if you think that your wedding didn't exactly go as smoothly as, as you would like, boy, you have nothing on Samson. Because Samson's wedding story is going to be disastrous. How many of you guys like to watch like funniest home videos? Any funny videos? Okay, you can admit it. I do too. That's right. Um, I, I like that. Shelly and I will watch that on occasion. And uh, one, of the, one of the segments, you know, they usually have segments, that I really enjoy the most is the wedding segment, where they have wedding bloopers, um, just disastrous wedding days. And so I just want to show just a short clip of some disastrous wedding days. And then what we're going to see is that Samson's tops them all. That would be pretty bad, you know, if your wedding day turned out like that. Mine didn't. Samson's wedding day, because of his pursuit of his own interests and desires, having it his way, it's going to be a wreck. Let's start reading in verses 10 through 14. And uh, we see in 10 through 14, Samson begins his party, if you will, with a riddle. He likes to tell riddles. He's kind of a jokester, if you will. He's good with words. And it's going to get him in a heap of trouble. Let's start reading in verse 10. He went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there, for, uh, for so the young men used to do. As soon as the people saw him, they brought him 30 companions to be with him. Kind of like a rent of friends, if you will. Verse 12, And Samson said to them, Let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you, notice what he's betting, if you will, 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, put your riddle, put your riddle that we may hear it. 14. And he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And so he poses um, this riddle to them. And in three days, they could not solve the riddle. And so the wedding story begins. It's a party, seven days worth of a party, and he's having a good time. He's hanging out with these 30 Philistine rent-a-friend kind of people. You know, they're not his buddies. They just were given to him. And he says, I think in his mind's eye, he says, this is an opportunity for me. And he thinks back about the experience that he had. He thinks back about the experience with the lion and the honey and just how odd that was. I mean, it's just an odd experience. And he thinks back and he says, you know what? I, I can use this. I can use this for my advantage. I can, I can gain something in this. And in doing so, I think what we see is Samson is pursuing having it his way. 
in a fourth area, the area of clothing, the area of attire. And I get this. What we see is that he bets 30, 30 garments. And, you know, upon initial reading this, before I did some study, I thought, okay, that's kind of a weird thing to bet, you know, 30 changes of clothes. Okay, I guess that's cool, you know. Um, in those days, I'm sure they didn't have the wardrobes that we had. Um, but when you do some study, what you find out is that the kind of garments that he is betting, uh, if you will, he will provide 30, they will provide 30, was actually like a, a festival garment. It's not just a typical change of clothes. It's like a festival garment, an, an outfit that you would wear on a special occasion and only on a special occasion, and they were quite valuable. And so what we see Samson doing is pursuing his desires, his lust, now in the area of clothing. He sees this as an opportunity. My wardrobe is looking kind of bad. They're, there's no way they're going to guess what happened to me, and so I'm going to bet this with them and know that I'm going to win. There's no way that they're going to win this riddle, and I'm going to get all of these changes of clothes, this, this fancy, uh, expensive garments. And so we see him doing that. The story concludes in 15 through 20. And Samson has been pursuing his lust. He's been pursuing his desires. He's been living for himself. He's been doing what feels good, having it his way. And it is going to turn out very, very poorly for him. Let's read verses 15 through 20. It says, And on the fourth day they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Okay. Ouch. That's, that's some pressure, you know what I mean? Have you invited us here to impoverish us? And so they're like, hey, we didn't come here to get robbed. We're going to kill you and we're going to burn you to shreds unless you give us the answer is what they say. Verse 16. And Samson's wife wept over him and said, you only hate me. You do not love me. You have put a riddle to my people and you have not told me what it is. So she says, man, you don't trust me. You don't love me. You've given them, you know, you're not sharing with me. You're not entrusting things to me. This is not a, a good start to our marriage. I'm putting words in her mouth here a little bit. Verse 17. She wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted. And on the seventh day, he told her because she pressed him hard. Then she told the riddle to her people. And the men of the city, uh, starting in verse 18, uh, and the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down. So the very end, the clock is ticking and they say, we have the answer. What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than the lion? Which is obviously the answer to his riddle. And he said to them, oh, he's going to get in big trouble for this one. And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. <laughs> so Samson's starting off his wedding by, by calling his wife, his bride-to-be, a heifer. Let's just say that he's going to be on the couch for a very, very... <laughs> Very long time. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town. That's a Philistine city and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle in hot anger. He went back to his father's house and Samson's wife. This is how it ends. And we're going to transition to John here in just a second. And Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. And the intrigue level just goes way up. And so what I want us to see here is, is a couple things. Uh, we've seen Samson pursuing, having it his way, living for himself in the area of sexuality, authority, his, his appetite, uh, even his attire. 
And essentially what we see is the Philistines solve his riddle through blackmail. Uh, Samson then goes to a neighboring town about 23 miles away, and he kills 30 guys. And he takes their garments to pay his debt, because obviously he didn't have those kind of garments. And so he goes back to the wedding, and he says, here, this is in my mind's eye. He throws it down before him. He's furious. He says, here, I'm paying my debt. And, you know, he called his wife a heifer, so she probably doesn't want to see him at this point. And he just storms off. He is mad. He is very upset. And he just leaves his wedding. The groom is up and gone. It's not runaway bride. It's runaway groom. He just leaves. He is mad. And the story transitions into verse 15 by saying that then instead of marrying Samson, hey, we've had a wedding. We've had a party. (laughs) We need a groom. And so they look at the best man and they say, you're it, dude. And he comes in and he marries Samson's bride to be. What a disaster. What a disaster. What dissatisfaction does Samson have? Okay, I want to apply this a little bit and turn it over to John. We see, I think, that we can very much be like Samson in these four areas. We've seen uh, the life of a man who lives for his own desires. He, he has it his way, and it just doesn't work. It's, it's a disaster, at least a dissatisfaction in four areas. First of all, sexuality. Is our culture not like this? Is our culture not like this in the area of sexuality where it says, if it feels good, do it. If they're married, it doesn't matter. If you're not married, it doesn't matter. Just do what feels good, man. It's going to make you happy. Sleep around. Have an affair. It doesn't matter. Look at porn. Have lustful thoughts. It's not hurting anyone. Boy, is our culture not like that. And can we not... Can we be like Samson? I think another way that this happens maybe a little more subtly for those of us who are married is we can, you know, we may not be cheating on our wife. And we may not be looking at porn and we may not be having lustful thoughts in our mind's eye. Um, and I hope we aren't. Um, but we may still pursue sexuality in a selfish way. We may still pursue sex as something that I get, something that's for me, something that makes me feel good, something that I want when I can get it, even with our spouse. Can we not? Married people, can we, not, can we not view sex in this way? Samson did. And brothers and sisters, we can too. Not only sexuality, rebellion to authority. Samson's desire to live however he wants led him to uh, rebel against all authority in his life. First, his parents' authority in his life. And then ultimately, God's authority in his life. Boy, we, our culture struggles with authority. Do we not? Authority is a bad word in our culture. We don't like it. None of us like having authority, but it's, it's good. It's from God. And so when we lie to our parents, kids, teenagers, when we flub the truth a little bit, we're being like Samson. When we uh, disrespect our boss and fail to do the things that he asks us to do, the authority in the workplace, we're being like Samson. Uh, uh, when we do this in the home, uh, we do this in church, we don't follow leaders' decisions or directions, and it damages the church in so many ways, the authority in our life. We can be just like Samson. We can do what we want to do. Thirdly, the area of our appetite. Boy, this really, this speaks to our culture, I think. Are we not a culture that eats because we like eating? Guilty. Right here. I like to eat. I'll admit it. I like a good burger or steak or chicken wings or, you know, whatever. I can keep going. And it, it proves the point that I'm like Samson. We eat because we like to eat, not because we have to eat. 
The World Health Organization, a recent study in 09, deemed us, deemed the United States the third most overweight pop, uh, population in the world. 67%, they say, of Americans are overweight. And I don't know exactly how they calculate that, but 67%, 30% of Americans are obese, making us the number one country for obesity in their estimation in all of the world. Are we not like Samson? Do we not struggle with this? Even if you've placed your faith in Jesus, I struggle with this. I eat too much. I have a second helping when I shouldn't. My portions are bigger than they should be. I snack when I shouldn't snack. I don't probably eat as healthy as I should. Um, I was thinking about this the other day as I was driving home from Champaign. What other country in the world has a sport called competitive eating? I mean, seriously, you know what I'm talking about? Where they stuff hot dogs down their mouth? Joey Chestnut and Kubiashi? Have you seen that? It's mind-boggling that we have a competitive sport. People eat. Oh, it's amazing. And I think, speaking personally here, until you try to limit that, until you try to have some self-control in that area, maybe going on a diet or a fast like John has, and I've gone on a, a diet here recently, you don't really realize how your stomach controls you until you take away some stuff. You don't realize it, that you're enslaved to your stomach, and it, it tells you what to do, and you don't tell it what to do. You don't realize that. And so we very much can be like Samson. And the fourth area, and then we'll pass it over to John, is the area of attire. Boy, again, do we not live in a culture that has too many clothes? I mean, no offense, ladies, I have too many clothes too, but we have too many clothes. Uh, Shelly gave me permission to tell this story, and so I'm telling it in good grace. We went to clean out some of our closets about a weekend ago, maybe a couple weeks ago, and uh, we're cleaning out and we're filtering out, and she's working on her closet, and, and, and I walk in, and we have piles of clothes on our bed, and I'm like, that's great. We're giving all this stuff away, all this stuff we don't need, you know, and just piles of clothes. And then I look in the closet, and it looks the same. <laughs> I'm like, Wow. We've got a lot of clothes here. It's just astonishing. It's just astonishing how we can buy because we want to, not because we need. We are very much like Samson. So the story ends in 14. We're going to transition here. The story ends with a cliffhanger. What's going to happen? Is Samson going to come back for his bride? If he does come back for his bride, how is he going to handle the fact that she is now married to his best man? How is Samson going to respond to not having it his way? What we're going to see in chapter 15 is that Samson is going to respond mostly by seeking revenge. So with that, we're going to jump right into chapter 15. Um, Bear with me. I'm going to read the whole chapter, and then we'll discuss it. After some days, at the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. Husbands, remember that. You want to impress your wife, bring a goat. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches. And he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stat grain and the standing grain as well as, as well as the olive orchards. Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? 
And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to this companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Irony. And Samson said to them, If this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you, and after that I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow, and he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Edom. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? They said, We have come up to bind Samson, to do as him as he did to us. Then three thousand men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are the rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. And they said to him, We have come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, No, we will only bind you and give you into the hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put, put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck a thousand men. And Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey have I struck down a thousand men. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, and that place was called Ramath Lehi. And he was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I, now, shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore the name of it was called en It is at Lehi to this day, and he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines twenty years. So, right at the end of chapter 14, you got if if, you, if there's any fans of 24, you've got this boop, 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 and then it goes to commercial. And then we come back in chapter 15, and you've got Samson, some days later, just going back down, and like everything's normal, and he's just he's going to bring this goat to his wife, and his father won't let her in. He's like, what's going on? Well... We gave her to your best man because we thought you hated her. So, why don't you take this daughter? You know, she's beautiful. You know, this, this other daughter of mine was right in your eyes. Isn't she even more right in your eyes? But Samson, in his mind, is like, I wanted her. I'm going to have her or you're going to pay. And so he gets really upset and he says, Listen, before, I may have been at fault when I killed those 30 guys. Now, no more. I'm no longer at fault when I do this. So he goes and he grabs 300 foxes. Um, the Hebrew here, they say that it could mean foxes or jackals. Jackals tend to travel more in packs. Either way, if you go and you try to catch 300 animals, I don't care what you're trying to catch unless you're fishing with dynamite, it's going to be a tough bit. So this took some time. Samson is really wanting revenge here. He's really just taking vengeance on these guys. And so he goes, he gathers, gathers these 300 foxes, puts tails between, or torches between their tails, sorry, sets their grain on fire, just sets everything they have on fire. So Philistines are, you know, what are we going to do? Who did this? They come, 
they find out it's Samson. So they go and they burn his wife and his, and his father-in-law. If you guys remember back in chapter 14, that's why Samson's wife tried to get the riddle out of Samson so that they wouldn't be burned alive. So it was a, it was a lose-lose situation for the, the family at this point. Either get us a riddle or you burn alive. Okay, Samson hurt us. We're going to burn you anyway. So we, we see Samson is very vengeful here. Let me ask you guys. Are you guys at all vengeful? Do you have at all ever want revenge on somebody for something they've done to you? Um, I got a story real quick. Uh, this is a personal story, and I, I may have told a few of you guys, but when I was 10 years old, uh, I was living in Mantino, and I was at the park with this friend of mine, and he decided that it would be a good idea to take up some sod that had just been laid down, grab a handful of worms, and throw them at me. I am afraid of worms about as much as he is afraid of snakes, which makes me less manly because it's a worm. So <laughs> at this point, I just I, I brush these worms off me, and I run and I chase this kid down, and I jump on his back, and I take him, and I'm not proud of this, but I took him by the hair on the back of his head and just started smashing his face into a rock. And, yeah, 10 years old. What is happening here? Got done from that. He knocks me off of him. He bites me. <laughs> it's just crazy what's going on, but... but at the end of the day, he ended up having to wear an eye patch for a year. I made this kid wear an eye patch for a year because he threw worms at me. Samson goes and he burns the grain of an entire country just because his wife was given to his best man. Let me ask you guys, are you guys vengeful at all? I mean, I was vengeful at 10 years old. It's something that is embedded deep inside of us when, when, when we are... Uh, sinned against that that we just want to get justice. So we got Samson being vengeful. Going on, um, Samson goes on, he burns the grain, then he goes and hides. They come, they get him, um, they take him back, the, the Israelites take him back to the Philistines and they bind him well, when they get there, it says, sorry, verse 14, When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, put out his hand, took it, and with it he struck a thousand men. This is a strong dude. He takes the jawbone, which again is a dead thing, Breaking his, breaking his Nazarite vial at this point, takes this jawbone of a donkey and kills a thousand guys. This is like, again, referencing back to 24, Jack Bauer. Awesome dude. Um, and then he proceeds to make up this little song. Like, being St. Patrick's Day this week, I picture this as like an Irish jig. Um, he says, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, and the jawbone of a donkey have I struck down a thousand men. He's just standing out here singing about this. Ah, I killed you all with the jawbone of a donkey. You guys are terrible. So we see at this point, Samson is also not only vengeful, but he's full of pride. He thinks that, you know what? I've done this. I, I've done this with, with a simple bone of an animal. I've killed a thousand men. They've got nothing on me. But it doesn't end there. Samson goes out. He does this. And then it says he's thirsty. 
I take that to be kind of an understatement because I don't know about you guys, but I get thirsty killing a thousand guys on Call of Duty, let alone going out and just taking people down with the jawbone. Samson, Samson gets thirsty and he calls out to God. He says, You've granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Do you guys really think Samson is praying to God here, saying, Thank you for, for what you've done for me? Thank you for letting me, letting, me, letting me lay waste to these people in your name. Not at all. He's coming and he's trying to manipulate God out of his own selfish desires. He's like, I don't want to die at this point. I've just killed all these dudes and you're just going to let me die out here from thirst? Samson is getting so manipulative here. Kind of stepping back from this, if, if, you, if you read Scripture from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, we see this thing called, I may be getting this wrong, but the, the crimson trail of salvation or this idea that throughout all of Scripture, uh, Old Testament points to Jesus. New Testament pointing back to Jesus. We see this all over the place and, and kind of how we want to close this morning is I want to talk to you guys about where we're at here, how this, how this section of Scripture points to Jesus. We saw Samson as a vengeful man, as a very prideful man, and a very manipulative man. He, at this point, is the judge of Israel. He's, quote-unquote, their savior from the Philistines. God is showing the Israelites that they need a savior. And this is the savior he's given to them. Probably at this time it's the savior they deserve, but not the one that they need. God is showing them that the savior they need is going to be not vengeful, but graceful. Not prideful, but humble, 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 and not manipulative, but non-manipulative. Um, the antonyms I found for that were of no use, so I had to use the non portion of that. So, who is that? Who is the savior that they need? Turn to uh, Luke with me. You, you don't have to go there, but Luke, um, in chapter 24, some versions of, of the scripture have it, some others don't. But as Jesus is hanging on the cross, he prays to God and he says, Lord, forgive them for what they have done to me, for they know not what they're doing. I don't know how much more gracious you can get when you're hanging on a cross dying and you're asking God to forgive the people who are doing it to you. He's humble. We see in John, when they're going up into the upper room for Passover, Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. Not because he wants to. Well, actually, yes, because he wants to. Because he, des- he desires to serve them. He says that he came to serve and not be served. I don't know about you, but if, if I were God, I probably wouldn't be doing that. I'd probably be saying, you do this for me. Because I'm awesome, you're not. So, and finally, we see that, that Jesus is not manipulative. No way whatsoever is Jesus manipulative. Praying in the garden the night before his death, he prays, Father, if you would take this from me, but in the end, let your will be done and not mine. He knows what's coming on him. And, and as a physical human being, he wants it to go away. But he knows that what needs to happen is that he needs to die for the sins of the world so that you and I could be forgiven and be in right standing with, with the Father. And so Jesus just does not 
become this manipulative, manipulative guy. So what we see in Judges, in Samson, is a view of a Savior that we don't need. We also see the view of a Savior that we do need. So again, I just want to ask you guys, in your lives, where are you trying to be vengeful? Where are you trying to gain revenge? Think about it for a second. Who has wronged you that you just, like honestly, you see them on the street and you just want to run your car into them? Or maybe that's just me. I don't know. Um, where, where are you guys, what are some issues of pride? Um, is, it, is it your work stat, status? You know, I'm, I'm the boss at work. I love this. You know, you're just letting pride fill your heart. And do you try and manipulate God in your prayers? You try and manipulate God. God, if you would do this for me, please, I'll do this. Or maybe it's just like Samson. But you said you would bless me. Why did you let me lose my job? Where are you at there? And so closing... Are you like Samson? Or are you looking toward a Savior like Jesus? Do you know Jesus as gracious, humble, non-manipulative? Because that's what He is. And that's why He died on the cross for us. So that our sins might be forgiven and we could glorify His name. That's what it comes down to at the end of the day. So we're going to pray. Uh, musicians are going to come up and they're going to, uh, we're going to I'll just close in, in response to the Father. God, we just thank you for this chance to uh, hear your word. Father, I pray that our, our hearts would be opened to just know you. God, I pray uh, if there's anyone in here who, who's never experienced your grace and your mercy, Father, that they would know it is available to them and that they can come anytime. Again, God, we just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you guys need time to pray, you can stay in your seats, whatever. You can come up to these stairs, nothing special about them. But if, if you need time to pray, do that. If you need somebody to pray with you, talk to one of the deacons, myself, Trey, we'll pray with you. So with that, take it away, guys.